Hey! Where did you get those clothes? At the toilet store? Three squares? You can't spare three squares? No, I don't have a square to spare. I can't spare a square. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Welcome back once again to Gag Reel, the very, very unnecessary podcast where we break down and analyze comedy film and comedy television and whatever comedy bits we can think of doing an episode about because we want to and because there's, uh, you know, uh, maybe even a dozen people out there in the world who want to listen. And I guess you're one of those folks right now. I am your host, Ryan Scanlon, and I'm joined, as per the usual, by my brother, Will, who will not say hello right now because I am recording this from the future. Ooh. So I'm recording this after the fact, as I said, and um, just uh, this is a continuation of our discussion last week of back to school so yeah i guess listen to that one and then if you already have then here we go with uh with part two starting pretty much right where we left off And on to another thought. So what happened to the company while he went back to school? They never addressed that. No, it seems like, you know, they, they I guess, can make their own big fat joke Cabbage Patch dolls well, and see, figure like, out everything on their own. He, he like, had input in everything they were doing in that yeah. boardroom meeting. And I actually thought it would have been funny in the movie if there was, like, a running sad gag showing the boardroom of executives having no clue what to do. Now that he was gone, <laughs> they just seemed really frustrated and clueless that he had to end the meeting early to, that's true. to talk to his son. Yeah, that's it's a good it's a good question. Um, and yeah, it seems like he, he makes it clear, like, I'm willing to drop everything for the kid. Yeah. And I guess that's what's going on. But yeah, it does make you wonder, like, are they just losing all of his money right <laughs> now? We don't know. He seems yeah. to have endless amounts, though. He bought a whole he bought a whole new building for the school and it didn't seem to hurt his pocketbook at all uh-uh. and dean dean martin kept emphasizing how much money it was dean martin i, I like that kind of joke you know <laughs> yeah. the, just the random uh re- real name person kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and nature feels the only person that acknowledges it too yeah so like like nobody else is aware of this like how, how, do he, how does nobody notice or maybe just no one else finds it funny yeah. or cares to bring it up yeah i, I think it's funny but uh, i wrote down this one joke i thought was funny where uh his kid was like what's wrong with used books and his response they've already been read <laughs> i did like that one and then speaking back to horn dog he like hits on that book selling lady there <laughs> like i like to tame your shrew it's like it's coming out of nowhere oh, yeah but it made me laugh you just see i wrote down this side note that the star trek blood runs pretty strong in this movie sally kellerman who plays the love interest in the movie was uh dr daner in the pilot for the original series oh is that right yeah and then um the love interest for his son in the movie was uh dax on deep space nine then of course Robert mm. Picardo. Was that would that would be years later, right? A few years. Like uh, okay. this was eighty six. Deep Space Nine started, I think, in ninety three. Okay. And so yeah, it was a few years later. And then yeah, Robert Picardo, like four years after that, played uh, the holographic Doctor on Voyager. Mm. He went from Joe Dante movies straight to uh, straight to Star Trek and uh, yeah, sci-fi. yeah, he's. 
making out with Dangerfield's wife, uh, mm -hmm. and then a few years later, making out with a lady gremlin. Yep. So he gets uh, he gets all over the place. Oh yeah. And I actually thought Thornton had like a few really good points in his first day of business class. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was strange that yeah. the professor didn't even try getting input from something from someone, you know, who knew what he was talking about. I, I like all pretty much all the scenes of him in class. Uh, after that, there's the Kinnison one or pretty soon after that. Yeah. With the uh, extremely right wing Vietnam vet. Yeah. Uh, just terrifying well, these children. Apparently, Rodney Dangerfield was the one that wanted Sam Kinnison in the movie. Like adamantly like you got to bring him in you got to bring him in mm -hmm. and uh in order to get the reverse shot of all the students freaked out yeah they just had him do his like bluest stand-up sets <laughs> and was there it was like apparently so raunchy and so nasty that it freaked out all of these college students that's hilarious and they're like all right we got it yeah, Ramus said the inspiration for that was that he had a history professor that was like pretty level headed. But uh, when she started talking about Roosevelt, mm -hmm. I guess in regards to World War II, that she just became this like hyper angry conservative, like patriot and just <laughs> like terrified everyone. Oh, wow. So he, he tried to kind of put that in. Through uh, through Kennison's mouth in a different way, and yeah, you you mentioned earlier that all the '80s politics of this movie, yeah, and I, I feel like Thornton's response here is very much an encapsulation of this kind of Reagan era uh, of looking fondly back on the kind of on the Red Scare and anti-communism, and uh, obviously all of just what Thornton represents yeah. with his heart of gold, but also millionaire, billionaire. Um, it is very, very 80s. And uh, there were so many of these movies that depicted similar things at the time, like uh, Trading Places or Coming to America or um, mm -hmm. Brewster's Millions. Like, the uh, what, what's the Tom Hanks one? Big? Big, yeah. Where it's just like, you know, kid in a, in a, kid in a candy store, basically, with endless money and you just kind of getting to fantasize through the, uh, the, through the eyes of these characters of yeah. like, what would it be like to have limitless money? And like, couldn't I get to that level? Kind of, yeah, it was, uh, crazy. Just a different time. Also another, uh, Richard Pryor movie, the, the toy. Yeah. There's so many the of toy. these yeah. that, uh, just depict these hyper luxurious lifestyles and with, without that much negative kind of aspects to them. They're always like the money can be dangerous, but as long as you keep your, you know, your values, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to kind of have it all. That uh, that that brings me to wondering if, okay, I mean, I know the views at the time were yeah, the Reaganomics and all that stuff, but I'm wondering if film-wise, story like storytelling-wise, if it all came from Willy Wonka. <laughs> I could see that too, because that was in the '70s. That was way before any of this ideology came around. Yeah, because the '70s were just a mess. But I'm wondering, like, storytelling wise, they're like, okay, we could tell stories like this because that was kind of the essence of Willy Wonka, you know, mm -hmm. him looking for somebody who still had a poor person's value to give them everything. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, interesting side note. Oh yeah, and also in, in regards to that in this movie. I say all that, you know, looking back with kind of different and critical eyes, but 
that scene where they do pan into the new dorm rooms that are newly constructed and that's kind of the fun set for the majority of the rest of the movie yeah is pretty mesmerizing and really cool like you know you're getting <laughs> to see what they did with that dorm like uh, it, it's super fun uh, oh yeah uh, it, it's lavish in to the ridiculous degree but uh crazy amount of craftsmanship in, in building a set to work like that and uh just how big that set was especially like when he's in his room with uh, all the computers and the guys that are helping him with uh, i guess his math and sciences and stuff uh-huh. that are just like putting together everything like that room was huge was a ridiculous uh amount of set building in this in this movie yeah for for like a comedy I'm wondering, okay, so I, I did a lot of digging to try and find any connection whatsoever to John Hughes. Uh-huh. Because there's absolutely none. Like, no no person on that set had any relation to John Hughes, except maybe, you know, like, wasn't Downey in... Uh, in yeah, uh, he was in Pretty in Pink, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And he was in, um, wasn't he, or one wasn't of he in Weird Science? It might have been... Uh... No, yeah, that might be what I'm thinking of. 16 Candles. It was one of those. One of the ones. But anyways, and so I just thought it was really weird that they had uh, a showcase scene of Twist and Shout the same year that Ferris Bueller also had a Twist and Shout. So the only thing I can think of is this song was discounted for use that year. <laughs> that's yeah, the, maybe. That's the only thing. And But by the way, that cover of it was absolutely terrible. Oh, with, with Dangerfield singing? Yeah. Uh, just that band. I thought it was awful. Oh, yeah. Um, that was the Twist and Shout band. The Twist and Shout band, um, starring uh, there was a funny name. Yeah, not to be a little bit of a bully here. Actually, no, I, not to make fun of him, but just funny in a cool way. Looking at IMDb, you know, you look at the Twist and Shout band members. Only one of them has an actual picture. Yeah, and uh, the coolest, funniest name. One of one of the best ones I ever heard. Cactus Moser. How about that? I'm a big fan of anyone whose first name is Cactus. I'm a fan of anybody who picks a plant or a vegetable <laughs> as a first name. He looks fruits, like a cactus. Fruits that not as cool, you know. Like uh, you gotta you gotta think really hard to find a fruit that doesn't sound almost semi normal. Yeah, yeah. But but well, I mean, yeah, just orange. Take, just orange take a Johnson veg- would be pretty wacky. But uh, yeah, orange Orange Lando Jones. That's a great name. But like, yeah, just take. Name. Just take a <laughs> just take a vegetable and then take like a generic last name. That that's a great name you got there. Oh you yeah, know? like zucchini Johnson. Like I mean, you could uh could just do anything. Yeah, but it, but yeah, cactus, cactus, tomato Williams. Like I mean, it's it's, it's, it's an easy recipe. Yeah, that's a good one too. A little alliteration there, but yeah, uh, I I didn't think they were that bad. You know, I, I thought it was a funny moment. He did look. He looked definitely his age there while he was singing. He was very sweaty um, while he was singing in the Twist and Shout band. But I thought it was it was amusing just for the comedy of it. Uh, maybe just be, maybe maybe I just thought it was terrible because, you know, you're putting it up against, you know, Ferris Bueller, where all they did was just lip sync to the actual Beatles. The John Lennon. Yeah, yeah that's true. They, I mean, that was, a you know, a whole moment. They did the full song. Yeah. They had synchronized dancing in the street of Chicago. Like. Mm-hmm. That was a full-on production. Yeah. This was just but, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, you know, like maybe at the end of the day. Yeah. Just being uh, wacky. L- looking a little exhausted and, yeah, having a wacky time. But um, moving on to my favorite line in the movie, and it's not a one-liner, you know, by Rodney, actually. It's uh, a hell of a performance by a background actor. 
when he's telling the business professor what's going on. And he says, Melon Man, story of the greatest party of all time. The whole world is there. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. And I'm just yeah. like, what a line about a damn party, you know? Playing up uh, the drunk drunk acting there, yeah. It was, a, it was a funny bit. Yeah, just very out there. Hell of a line. <laughs> I mean, it did look like a heck of a party, you know. I, I would have a fun time there. <laughs> yeah. He was paying off the cops even to, to come, you know. Yeah, the cops were bringing the beer. That's rich people for you. I thought the, overall the montage of the cramming was okay. But I really mm-hmm. liked the image of uh, showering in his pajamas with a cup of coffee in his hand while his son is in a rain suit. Uh-huh. Reading to, I just thought that image was exceptionally <laughs> hysterical. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was a fun little montage. I think it got beat a few years later by the uh, the studying montage and Billy Madison. That was great. With I mean, it, it, that had Chris Farley, though, and you can't. Mm-hmm. And, and a, a uh, Gardner. Speaking the most <laughs> intense Cajun French I've ever heard. You're not going to beat that. I guess overall, I was trying to break this down on paper and... I kind of figured it out at the end, so I kind of step on what I was writing before. But I'm just going to read it out because I was trying to figure out: Does Thornton have a character arc in the film? And so, mm. like, I wrote the plot revolves around him convincing his son to stay in school by doing it with him, only for him to sure. cheat his way through and then pass <laughs> at the last minute due to his financial clout with the dean allowing him a last minute cram section, which sure. it becomes clear that for the most part, he barely absorbs and only passes out of luck. Minus maybe with, uh, the... with yeah, with that business math section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say he remembered a good amount of it. And I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you, you like both on the same page that like the arc is supposed to be that he learns what he, a little bit of what his dad had always tried to instill in him, like, and he put his kind of, I guess, uh, money where his mouth is kind of thing of like learning that education means a lot and actually yeah. learning something on his own. Yeah. After being literally forced to, you know. So but, I was uh, kind of wondering if, okay, if they wanted to turn this into an actual like movie movie, which they didn't, they were just having fun. It was a fun movie, but like if they would have had him fail. If mm-hmm. the, and yet he ended up convincing his son to stay in school after all, if that would have been a more poignant mm. run. Yeah, I could see that. Because like there was really no stakes about him passing other than suddenly he's in school and, and now he's got a he's got a pass. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I guess he wanted to go through the whole thing. So I guess if he wouldn't have passed, he would have been kicked out kind of thing. Yeah. Or just try again or something. The point of the movie isn't the arc. Yeah. I mean, so I know it, Harold Ramis helped out with the movie, in. but it took mm-hmm. him to like, I guess, Groundhog Day to try and, you know, make a movie that wasn't just light and fun. Yeah, I was about to say even Ghostbusters, like that doesn't really have no individual character arcs. Uh, In fact, that was why him and Bill Murray went to contention because I, 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 if I remember right, Bill Murray was taking it super seriously, and Harold Ramis was like, "This is just a fun movie. 
Yeah. And so that makes sense. I think, uh, or maybe it was the other way around. I don't know. No, I think, I think that was around the time Bill Murray started taking his work super seriously. And so, and Harold Ramis was like, Oh, this is just fun. And so it ended up becoming a movie with an actual decent story arc and character because of the fact that they were coming to a head and, mm-hmm. you know, attacking each other for it. But the script is still really damn good. I've read the yeah. script multiple times. Um, a great movie. Yeah. Like I, I don't think a movie has to be beholden to characters having, you know, true arcs, you know, and actually overcoming something. That's like the greatest shortcut. And, and like, it definitely something that most movies yeah. do. I, I just, I think, I think my biggest problem with the movie overall, breaking it down like this and realizing, like, I think it's just a dumb comedy, but there was yeah. so much opportunity that it had yeah. to lean into sure. a satire like a really funny satire that it chose not to do. Yeah. Now it, it, it's thin. It's thin. It's excuses for bug eyed one liners and they're great bug eyed one liners. Oh yeah. And uh, I, I think that the romance between him and the teacher works. Uh, I don't really buy as much of the romance between little melon and, uh, or little, little Thornton. And Terry Farrell's and... character. It was just, yeah, it was yes. weird. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. It made the college honestly look a whole lot, feel a whole lot smaller than it was supposed to uh-huh. be. Cause this was the one girl that everybody wanted, I guess. But him and the bully. Yeah. It's a little bully. triangle. And then like Downey pointed, like made jokes as if like he knew exactly who she was too and stuff. It was weird. <laughs> uh, Robert Downey's character was a, a little. He's kind of all over the place, yeah. yeah. It's definitely very, like I said before, it's very improv-y uh, for better or worse, yeah. you know. It's whatever Robert Downey was thinking would be funny in that moment, and then they got stuck with all that. Yeah, Alan Murder. But, I mean, the whole point of him was to be the wacky sidekick, and so, yeah. I mean, it, it's a low bar. Yeah, Alan Metter said that uh, he kind of regrets not giving Downey much to do. He said uh, he doubts that people casted him for the film Chaplin based on his role in this movie. <laughs> and, um, and producer Chuck Russell said that dealing with Rodney Dangerfield, Sam Kittison and Robert Downey Jr. On one set was a bit like hurting, hurting chickens. That's funny. I guess we're wind, winding down. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, we, we've uh, talked through most of the movie Let here. Me, uh, I, I I uh, I need to mention though how, how you know speaking of the bug-eyed bits, I think one of the best ones was you know him doing his famous triple flip dive that the triple Lindy, yes the triple Lindy, um and yeah the, the big bug eye on the land of that that was him and the directors one of their favorite moments when they saw the footage and saw that um. The stunt double had to be filmed on a on a different day, and so the lighting doesn't match up, and his hairpiece is coming off, <laughs> and so like they both saw that footage where it was obvious that there was a stunt double, and just could not stop laughing like this is the dumbest thing they had ever seen, and it's perfect. That's hilarious. But uh, I guess uh, one one way before we move on to how is it aged just uh i got a few little fun facts to try and uh to to give people a better idea of rodney dangerfield as a person because like these Let's are all it. things yeah. that were in the oral history of the movie 
and yet they didn't really have a place in the behind the scenes stuff because they didn't really have anything to do with the movie. They were just about Rodney Dangerfield himself. So apparently Joan Dangerfield, you know, widow, widow to Rodney still keeps a Tupperware container of his sweat in her freezer to this day. How'd you get that? Well, according to her, Rodney had read that a handkerchief stained with Elvis's sweat was sold for a ton of money and a light bulb went off in his head. And he said that uh -huh. he sweats more than anybody and his sweat has to be <laughs> as good as Elvis's, right? So she would follow him around with a sponge and collect it. Oh my God. And so at one point the Grammy museum came to her house to collect things for an exhibit honoring Rodney. And when she presented them with the sweat, <laughs> <laughs> they politely declined. <laughs> so she just keeps it. <laughs> She's trying to give out the whole Tupperware. She should like just get on eBay and start filling those up with handkerchief. You know, fill do a little dab into a handkerchief. Yeah, she could probably fill up you know, a whole bunch do, of handkerchiefs. She yeah. could probably do a few hundred handkerchiefs. Yeah, that's probably what he was thinking. But uh, comedian Wayne Fetterman uh, is a he's a funny guy. He's, he has bit parts on Curb and Seinfeld and a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyways, when he was 24 years old and trying to break into the comedy scene in New York, he ended up running into Rodney outside a New York comedy club who was uh, in a bathrobe smoking pot with a few other comedians. Speaking of bathrobes, apparently that's all he ever wore. Like that's what he was the most comfortable in was a bathrobe. And he rarely that makes a lot of sense. He rarely wore clothes underneath him. And he apparently had trouble keeping it tied. He was a flasher. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but apparently the first shot of this movie was him like walking down the quad uh, in that bathrobe. Oh, okay. And so I, I could see if, like, you know, producer, director knew that was his typical uh, thing. Like, maybe they, they chose that on purpose. Yeah. as like, this will be the good toe-in, toe-in-the-water kind of thing. He'll be comfortable in this bathrobe. <laughs> let's, let's get it started like this. Yeah. But um, anyways, Wayne Fetterman introduced himself, said he was a new comic, and Rodney told him that he was always looking for jokes and that he'll give him $50 for anything that he writes for Rodney uh, that, that he actually uses. And Wayne thought that was a very generous offer, but uh, he apparently had a knack for working with a lot of young comedians. And uh, he had, when he was still a teenager, Jim Carrey would open for Rodney Dangerfield at his Las Vegas shows. Really? Yeah. And there's this little anecdote. Let's see if I could find it by Brad Garrett. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he used to, in the 80s and 90s, he would uh, host a number of specials where he showcased young talent and, uh, they pretty much picked out all these people like uh, Sam Kennison, Andrew Dice Clay, Rita Rudner, Jerry Seinfeld, Harry Basil, Bob Nelson, Louis Anderson, Bill Hicks, Dom Herrera, Jeff Foxworthy, Roseanne Barr, Tim Allen, and Bob Saget were all featured on the shows. Uh, Brad Garrett, who ended up reading, um, they did a, uh, I think, a 20th anniversary rereading of the script. And okay. Brad Garrett did uh, Rodney Dangerfield's role. And... Um, he says, uh, folks typically don't give you a leg up when they can in our industry. Rodney always did. He helped out so many comedians. He knew talent. That said, he never picked me. Just Jim Carrey, Sam Kennison, Harry Basil, Andrew Dice Clay, and Roseanne. All the people in rehab. <laughs> when I finally solved my drinking problem, I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. You know? Yeah, I still drink. I use a different name. That's all. <laughs> My problem is that I drink too much, way too much. Yeah. I get my doctor a urine specimen. There was an olive in it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And smoking, that's another one. Yeah. Try to stop smoking, that's a beauty, huh? Well, with cigarettes, my wife and I, we made a deal, my wife and I. We yeah. only smoke after sex. I've got the same pack now since 1975. <laughs> what bothers me is my wife. She's up to three packs a day. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's, uh, so now let's talk about, well, how do you think it's aged, Ryan? Yeah, this uh, is, is, like you said, this is, one of the more 80s movies of 80s movies. <laughs> and I think we had talked behind the scenes a while back, and this still might happen one day, about doing a, like, trial of 80s horn dog movies. Mm -hmm. And when I was, you know, brainstorming that, this one just immediately like, kind of popped into my head as, like, I know this isn't as bad no, as is, they get. This is like the tamest and like, of the horn dog. Yeah, and there's not really any sequences in this of like like Revenge of the Nerds or a lot of those where or Animal House where it's like let's just go creep on women yeah. for the sake of it. Uh, that's why like I wouldn't really put it in that category per se, but it did pop into my mind because I, I just you know all, I think about all the all the nudity that's there just for the sake of it being there, you know, just for eye candy kind of yeah. sake. Uh, so that obviously, and just a lot of this kind of like you know Rodney Dangerfield and Don Rickles, I'd put them in similar camps of these kind of like insult one-liner stuff. And uh, just a lot of that doesn't age super well. Yeah. Because, you know, what what's socially okay to insult it shifts with time. Yeah. And, like, the, the fat jokes here at the start of the film are really egregious, especially, like, with that boardroom and all the, like, visual gags there of them all eating dessert and they're all kind of big and making decisions. Then they, you know, they have the um, abandoned big cabbage patch doll. I forget what they called it. And I think it also like um, you were right when you were pointing out some of the stuff that was that were really funny. But I, I think it's one of those things where if it wasn't said by Roger Dangerfield, yeah, and it wasn't such a sure. funny line delivery that it would be kind of creepy. You know, like I laughed pretty hard when he pops out of the hot tub and says, no, that's what I call marine biology. <laughs> but if anybody yeah. else said that, that would be creepy as hell. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and like a set like a 60 year old, 60, 70 year old. Uh, you know, surrounded by these ladies. And it's, you know, it's a movie. It's a comedy movie kind of thing. Uh, but like out of context, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of this stuff nowadays would uh, be shamed upon. And I think they do at least point that out with that moment with him, like immediately feeling bad because uh, of the teacher seeing this. Yeah. But yeah, just in general, it, it's a really, really 80s movie, you know, like uh, as that those sensibilities... Yeah, it, it would just, I'd be wary of who I recommended this to, and I, I would give a few asterisks. Yeah, you're right with, like, definitely caveats to who you would recommend this to. And even within, like, what kind of a comedy do you want to see? There's, yeah, because, like, there's not much slapstick. There's not much visual gags. There's mm -hmm. a few. Yeah, sure. Um, but mostly it's 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 the uh, it's the jokey jokes, and it's really like a stand-up comedian's comedy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you want just straight up just jokes, check out Back to School. We we always kind of say this because we're almost always watching these seventies, eighties, and nineties movies. But yeah, once again, just like 
the women are kind of objects in this movie. There, there is like an interesting arc with uh, with Thornton and Diane in that she she shows him a lot of uh, you know a perspective that he might have not had, and she's a little bit more than just like an ogled over body. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of interesting dialogue, but yeah, she she's kind of still just there, and all the like side women are kind of just there as as props. Yeah, but yeah, I guess um, overall. When it comes to writing women, meh. People of color, meh. Yeah, there wasn't really any in here. <laughs> yeah. Once again. Once again. Thank hey, you, Hey, John Hughes again, kind of. Yeah. Another similarity there. Mm-hmm. But overall, just it's a relatively tame movie. Rodney Dangerfield helps to kind of smooth, smooth the edges of something that would have been even worse had he not been so funny in it <laughs> you say even worse like it is uh yeah oh you mean like ethically kind of thing yeah yeah i got you yeah yeah i i, I see that yeah yeah i think he has a good a in, interesting delivery and there's just some sort of endearing quality with danger field of it just seems like play kind of when he's talking yeah and so i feel like i definitely don't take a lot of the stuff he says to heart because it just it seems just kind of like a theatrical routine. Yeah, and honestly, like a lot of the problems that the movie has, I, I was complaining that it was just a light, dumb movie that had the opportunity for some like real satire and stuff. But the fact that this was just a light, dumb movie kind of helps it out in terms of the agedness. Yeah. Because if it would have been the exact same movie, but just better made, it, I would be mm-hmm. a lot more scrutinizing of some of the problems. That yeah, the movie that's true. Has. Yeah, I think overall, like, why the things that, like, would keep me from recommending this aren't really it being really, like, rough around the edges or, like, looking back, like, being like, oh, yeah, this is really sexist or this is really racist. I, I don't think it's, like, that egregious on any of this. Yeah. The only thing that would really keep me from recommending it is just how the style of comedy it is. And, yeah, like you mentioned, it, it's very much like a stand-up comedy, a comedian's kind of movie yeah with a with a with a good film score i didn't mean to mention that earlier yeah danny elfman's score in this apparently became a template for other movies like uh directors would put the score from this movie into other movies while they were oh. trying to tell other composers like this is the kind of score we want that makes sense and uh this combined with uh, peewee's big adventure really put him on the map yeah that makes sense i could see that but i guess that's everything i guess that puts everything to a close um feel free to email us at uh, gagrealpod at gmail.com check out our uh website at gagrealpod.com um we've got a facebook uh, at gagrealpod we've got a twitter at gagrealpod and um do we have anything else ryan i think that's it yeah just uh we still don't have that hotline do not we? yet in the meantime just uh take it easy next week we'll be back with drum roll please i guess it's not necessary um liar liar 1997 comedy starring jim carrey we haven't done a carry yet yeah that's true yeah i'm excited he has uh i mean i don't need to tell you but yeah he has such a weird unique sense of comedy and I'm, i'm pretty excited to try and attempt to break it down how it works and what what he does and uh yeah it's gonna be an, an interesting one yeah should be fun but uh in the meantime you guys um keep it real gag real
Yeah, have a good one. I tell you, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. I don't get a break with nothing. I played hide and seek when I was three. No respect, no respect. Why they wouldn't even look for me? No respect, no respect. I was an ugly kid, I never had fun. No respect, no respect. They took me to a dog show and I won. No respect, no respect. When I was born, I brought no joy. No respect, no respect. My old man said he wanted a boy. No respect, no respect. I was an ugly kid, always alone. No respect, no respect. Halloween, I had a trick or treat over the phone. No respect, no respect. Friends don't call, my phone don't ring. I don't get a break with anything. What's the matter, Rodney? Ah, uh, death, where is my sting? It's just rapping Rodney. Ain't wrapped your tight, no, no. Rapping Rodney. Get out of sight, it's just rapping Rodney. Make no mistake, poor old 